So we are done with Hebrews, so we're going to the second book of John. So I've preached through John, First John, a lot of times, but the second book of John, not so much here, and it's only 13 verses. That's the entire book. So we're going to cover it tonight, God willing, and the creek don't rise, amen? So get to the second letter of John, and uh, I'm going to thank the Lord for it. And then I'm going to read it to you, and we're going to go through it. Are you there? All right. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these epistles, even these small ones that are powerful and packed with so much truth. Father, I pray you open them up to us tonight. Holy Spirit, our minds are alert, our hearts are wide open, and we ask you to deposit what the Father has for each of us as the word is preached tonight, as we look at Second John, Father, tonight, open it up to us and drive it deep down into our hearts that it would be a, something we could treasure and apply to our daily living. I ask it in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. So here it is, Second John, the elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. That was the introduction, but there's still a lot in there. Verse 4, kind of the meat of the book here. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as you have received command to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, that you do not lose what you have accomplished but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds." Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. So there's the whole book. It might seem like there's not much there, but there really is. John writes this short letter uh, first on around 90 AD. Uh, somewhere's in that gap there. They're, they're thinking it was written the theme of this short letter is loving each other and dealing with false teachers. So these were things that were important to the church. I mean, you know, you get involved in a church and you're surrounded by people. Love is the thing that you need to cultivate, amen? Do you ever notice people can be annoying? Do you ever notice some people can be pushy? All right, I'm just, nah, you're slow, but you're worth waiting for. People are difficult sometimes. So love, we've talked about this. Love is the super glue of the church is what 
covers a multitude of sins. So he was just writing this short little letter, and he's like, you know, we got to deal with loving each other, and we got to deal with false teachers, two very important subjects to the church. Now, loving Jesus means obeying his commandments. The, the commandments of Jesus call us to live lives of love, to love each other, to love God. Uh, it's, it's all about love. Everywhere you can apply love, apply love. That's what Jesus wanted, for us to love each other, to love God. And without love, you know, you can have religion, but you can't have a relationship with God. So John highlights the importance of believing that Jesus is God's son, that he came in the flesh, that he's fully God and fully man, uh, and that Christians must separate themselves and not support those who teach uh, a Jesus that doesn't line up with Scripture. You know that there's cults and world religions and all kinds of groups out there that teach Jesus is something other than what the Bible says he is. Now, even as this is a pertinent topic to the church now, uh, it was pertinent then. Why? Because the enemy is always trying to get in there and mess up the foundation of the church. Jesus is the cornerstone. Amen? If you mess up the cornerstone, the rest of the building is shot. It's not going to be right. So the enemy always attacks the personhood of Jesus Christ, always attacks who Jesus is, tries to make him anything other than what the Bible says he is. So He's fully God. He's fully man. We need to obey his commandments. We need to separate ourselves from those who teach a different gospel. We're going to talk about this in detail. The historical backdrop for this letter helps us to understand what provoked Paul to write this. You see, the gospel message during the first two centuries of the church was dispersed by traveling ministers and evangelists. Over the years, we've had lots of evangelists come in, lots of guest speakers, and understand before they ever get to the pulpit here, they are highly vetted by the pastoral staff. We don't let just anybody come in and preach. In fact, I've had some people come in at certain times where I had to cut them off or correct what they said, and you know, there's times where you never know what's going to happen when people get up there, amen? But we have to keep our doctrine solid, and you know, there's been a couple times over the years, and I, I've been here a long time, but we've had a few cases where people taught things that were not biblically sound. He's saying, you know, the message of the church now is being brought by these teachers and these evangelists, and they travel. So believers would receive these traveling uh, teachers and evangelists into their homes and provide their needs while they minister to the church. So here Paul is telling us to watch uh, I mean, John is telling us to watch out for who you bring in, and if they don't preach the same gospel that was delivered to you, don't welcome them into your houses. So 2 John is written as a warning to opening your homes, uh, opening the church to those who would preach a doctrine that doesn't line up with Scripture, amen? We're going to look at this, how it applies practically. But verses 1 through 3, they serve as an introduction, as a greeting. But there's some powerful stuff in here. Notice how John starts off the, the letter. He says, the elder. Now, you might think not much of that, but at around 90 AD, the apostle John was very probably the oldest living apostle. He was the only one left. He's the oldest one. And so here's John. He calls himself the elder, and he is an older man and an apostle. And so uh, that term elder there speaks to him as someone who was there with Jesus, an apostle, connected to him, and he's pointing out the fact that he's not only an apostle but an elder. Now, the office of an elder is not necessarily tied to age. Do you know that? 
You've heard elders, deacons, all these offices in the church. Well, I've known people that they were in the church so long and they got old and they said, I'm an elder. I'm dead serious. I had one guy say to me, well, I've been in this church so long that I'm an elder. Well, that's not the way it worked. It's not about age. It's about a calling, uh, an office, a mantle, an anointing. And so, you know, this idea of him being an elder is more than just him being the oldest one living left around, but the idea of an elder is not necessarily tied to age. There's some people who are elders who are pretty young. It's a spiritual calling. It's marked by spiritual maturity and consistent living. Say amen. And so uh, I want you to know when he calls himself an elder, uh, it's an important thing, and it's something that, you know, when you have a genuine elder that's called and anointed that has a life of consistency and a good track record, they're a great benefit to the church. So uh, he says to the elder, the elect lady and her children. Now, he's referring to a woman, probably a widow. There's no mention of her husband. There's no mention of her name. But she facilitated the gospel in her area. Uh, during the formation of the early church, there were a lot of home churches. And a lot of women who got saved opened their homes up to the church, and the church met in homes. So here's a woman and she is an influential lady in her area. She facilitates the preaching of the gospel. He calls her the elect lady, the elect lady and her children. So her children are mentioned, suggesting that her children also served and aided the advancement of the gospel in that community. Uh, they were believers and fellow workers with their mother. So look how much fun we had just in that little introduction. There's a lot of implications there, uh, a lot of church history there. So the elder and the elect lady. Now, verse 2, John professes a love for the woman and her children because they are committed believers and fellow workers with him. This is important here. Uh, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. So, you know, he, he's acknowledging her that she has, you know, uh, an anointing, that she's elect, that her children are, uh, you know, helpers and fellow workers in the gospel. We should celebrate those who are fellow workers in the gospel. Amen. A lot of people get territorial. A lot of people get denominational. Well, this is my church and this is my pastor. I've seen people be kind of disrespectful to pastors of other churches and say, well, that's not my pastor. Don't ever do that. Respect the office, amen. If they have a solid track record, they're preaching the gospel. There's godly men all around Dutchess County heading churches, preaching the gospel, and we should give them respect. Paul respects this woman here, sees her as elected. You know, that means chosen, set apart by God. Uh, it's just a powerful thing, a profession of, you know, love. And, and obviously the love expressed there is a phileo love. It's that brotherly love, the paternal love we talked about. Um, for all those who preach the truth, we should have a brotherly love. For all those who advance the gospel and serve as fellow workers, we should have a brotherly love. Why? Because we're part of a body before we're part of a denomination, before we're part of a local church. Someone say amen. Now, this apostolic reading is powerful here in verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. That's a mouthful there. The, you know, it's an apostolic reading. It starts off with a bold prediction. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us, will be with you, some translations say. You know, how can John make that profession? Why? Because that is the inheritance of the saints. See, we can make these professions, 
you know, and, and with assurity, he, he doesn't say, you know, I, I hope it's with you or it might be with you. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you, will be with us. Do you have the faith to believe that for your life? It's an important thing. You say, well, it's just a greeting, you know, it's just a nice flowery words all strung together. No, it's our inheritance, amen. We should wake up in the morning believing for that. Grace, mercy, and peace. That's what I'm going to have today, amen. And, and anything less than that, you know, I don't receive, but I receive that from the Lord because it's my inheritance as a saint of God, amen. What, what from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. Wow, there's a lot in there, amen. The correct order of the hierarchy of the blessing, the fact that, you know, all that we get from the Father comes through the Son. If you have the Son, you're connected to the Father. If you don't have the Son, you have no access to the Father. It comes to us in truth and in love. What does that mean? It's got to come through relationship. It can't come through religion. It can't come through head knowledge. It has to come through truth. You getting this? Truth. What's the truth? The truth is that Jesus died to connect us to the Father, to forgive our sins. If we have a relationship with him, now we're connected to God. Amen. Now we can expect that grace and that mercy and peace. And then it adds love. And remember what I said. The commandment of Jesus is to love one another, to love God. Amen. Without love, we're just religious. And so a powerful greeting there, one that, you know, we can pray over our lives daily. Grace, mercy, and peace, amen. That's the inheritance you have as a child of God. That's the inheritance you have by being connected to the Father through Jesus Christ. Uh, so verse 4 through 6 remind us how important it is that we keep Jesus' commandments. And, you know, in a short little epistle like this where it's basically one chapter, you know, he gets to the meat of the issues right away there on verses 4 through 6. He says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth just as we have received commandment to from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments, this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So there again, getting to the meat of the issue here, John rejoices in the fact what that this key lady, this elect lady who facilitates the gospel in her region, uh, that her faith has been reproduced in her children. That's an important thing, isn't it, amen? I don't know, how many parents do we have out there? I would venture to say our greatest desire as parents is that we want to see our kids have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. The people who aren't clapping are scaring the heck out of me. And I know some of you have kids. All I want for my kids, I don't care if they're rich. I don't care if they're successful. I don't care if they're famous. I, what I want them to do is have a relationship with Jesus Christ that saves their souls. Amen. That's all I really care about. And look, you know, God... You know, you can be successful, you can make a pile of money, you can be famous, you can be a household name, and you can lose your soul and spend eternity without God. And I don't want that for my children. God doesn't want that for anybody. So, you know, John is pointing out the fact here and rejoicing in the fact that, you know, this lady's children have also uh, had, you know, her faith has been reproduced in them. And that's a very important thing. Don't try so hard, parents, to win the entire world and lose your family. Let me say that again. 
Don't try so hard to win the whole world and lose your family. Remember who your first sheep are. When I got into the ministry, I had a man uh, speak to me prophetically about my wife and tell me that, you know, always minister to your first sheep first. My wife is my first sheep, not you. Well, I got this and I got to do that. And can you come here? Can you do this? Can you do that? If she's taken care of and my children are okay, then I can worry about the other sheep. I might not always be your pastor, but I'm always going to be her husband. So I, I can just the overwhelming sense of applause here. Just, you know, you got to take care of your family, people. And let me tell you, I'll just get real with you. I've been around the block. I've seen a lot of pastors. I've seen a lot of people who would work real hard to elevate their ministry and in the process wind up divorced and having kids that don't even want to deal with them anymore. I've seen a lot of men of God who didn't take care of their first sheep first. <laughs> you, know, you, see, you know the Wizard of Oz, the guy behind the curtain? I've been behind the curtain, okay? And let me just tell you something. That's not godliness, well, I preached in 72 meetings and I had all these altar calls and all these people were saved. Yeah, but you, your, your marriage is, is falling apart and your kids are falling apart. And, and this is something that we need to focus on here that, you know, what's being celebrated here is not, you know, she opened her house to the church. and she, What's being celebrated right there is the fact that she reproduced her faith in her children and that's a beautiful thing. Understand your first priority. Uh, uh, Understand who your first sheep are and make sure you minister to them first. Now, I'm not saying that you turn your back on God and you go quit church because, you know, you want to go out to the lake with your family. Put God in his proper place in your life, amen? But when it comes to ministry, minister to your first sheep first. Verse 5 shows, you know, John's great passion uh, for keeping the commandments of Christ when he says, I plead with you, lady. See, uh, he, he showed that, that pleading there, that earnestness, uh, it shows, you know, his passion. For I ask you, lady, for I plead with you, not as, those, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment. So I want you to see there's an element of passion there. John's passion is there to remind her and us how important it is that we keep doing the foundational things that led to our salvation, this is very important. If we're going to have a, a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, we can't stop doing the basics. We got to pray every day. We got to read the word every day. We got to listen to Jesus and listen for his still small voice every day. Amen. Those are the basics. Never stop doing them. Why? Because, you know, if we lose our passion for doing the basics, if we lose our connection to Christ, then, you know, it's only a matter of time before everything spiritual in our life starts to wither away. There's no treading water in the kingdom. You're either swimming ahead, sinking and drowning, or, or that's it. Those are the two choices. Move ahead and grow or stay still and drown. So for everyone whose relationship with the Lord, and this is for all of us, if it gets stagnant, man, you, you better get moving forward, amen? And so that passion there, I plead with you, uh, reminding us to keep doing the foundational things that led to our salvation. He's saying it's not a new doctrine I bring to you, not a new commandment. It's not a new spin on things. You know, people are always looking for new stuff, new stuff. You know, everybody likes everything new. Can we just be honest? 
you know, we got these phones that can uplink with satellites in orbit and give us all kinds of information, man. Remember when, when I was a kid, if you wanted to know something, you had to have a set of encyclopedias. And you had to, like, grab a book and find the topic and read what they had. That was all the knowledge available to you. Now we got these phones, and they're so incredible, but we always want a new one. We want a faster one. They make them bigger. They make them smaller. They, they, they keep changing them, and we keep buying them. Don't look at me like that, like you don't know what I'm talking about. Why do we do that? Because our flesh likes new stuff, new, new, new. And we get bored so easily. Now, we can't do that with Jesus. All right, just want to make sure. Some people are just looking at me. But some people do that. Well, I tried this Jesus thing. It was fun and exciting for a while, but I'm bored with it now. Why are there empty seats in church? Why have people not come back? They're still pretending they're hiding from, you know, a, a plague of uh, whatever in the corner. They're not coming back. Why? Bored. Bored of the things of God. Bored of the word. Bored of coming to church. Uh-oh, pastor's getting a little too real. We're going to clam up now. Well, you're here, so God bless you. But I'm just saying, we have this human tendency to get bored of things. But, you know, we can't get bored of the things of God. We can't get bored of growing in our faith. We can't get bored of the Bible. You know, you open up a book. Oh, I, I read that before. You pull out a verse. Oh, I know that one. Do you? Do you know it? Because I've been studying this since I'm 14, and every time I open the covers, it, it blows the lid off my life. Amen. All I know about this is I, I don't know anything until the Holy Spirit keeps illuminating it and revealing it and bringing it to life, amen? So there's enough in here to fill us and thrill us all the days of our lives. And if you're bored and I'm bored, there's something wrong with us. But it's not God. This isn't even in my notes. I'm just riffing at this point. It's not a new commandment. It's not a new doctrine. It's not a new spin on the old things. You know, we, we might want the new phone. We want a new car. We want new floors in our house or just floors in our house or just a house. I, I don't even know. But, you know, we can't become bored with God. The foundational command that we had from the beginning is that we would love one another. <laughs> you know, the longer you're... The, the longer you know someone, the longer you're with someone, the, the longer you're married, you know, you get a tendency to become comfortable with each other, familiar with each other, amen? You know, when you first met each other and you, you just looked at each other all the time. And now you're like, you know, you, you got to work to keep that love. Come on, married people, right? And we got to work to keep it with the Lord too. So don't, don't get bored with the things of God, Amen. Father, give us a hunger and thirst for the things of God, for your word, for worship, for truth, that we would love one another. Verse 6 provides us a working definition of love as it applies to the church. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. So there, again, you know, Jesus told us to do some things. You say, well, what did Jesus tell us all to do? The main thing is to love one another, to love God. But, you know, we need to know, we need to know what Jesus said. We need to know the red letters in our Bible. Amen. I have a book that has, you know, contains all the, the words that Jesus said in the Bible. You know, the most powerful words ever spoken. We've got to know what Jesus said to please him and have a relationship with him. That means we've got to be in his word all the time. Amen. 
But the basic thing is love. You can't go wrong with love. Uh, it's not a new command. It's not a new spin. It's been there from the beginning. Uh, the, the verse 6 has given us that working definition. This is the commandment that you've heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. So very pointed, you know, a reminder, a little wake-up call to the church, a refresher, and that's what this should be for us. Verses 7 through 11 talk about deceivers uh, having gone out into the world. You know, this is the, the first part of the theme there is that we should love one another, keep the commandments of Christ. You know, then shifting gears, verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Let's stop right there. There's, again, they attack the cornerstone. They attack who Jesus was, his divinity, the fact that he came bodily. These are all important things. And we see, you know, all of the, uh, the schisms in the church and all of the false teaching in the church centers around uh, issues like this about who Jesus is. Now, the fact that it says here that deceivers, many deceivers have gone out into the world, I want you to think about that for a section, for a second here. It's not like, you know, uh, all of a sudden, you know, somebody gets twisted and they come up with an, an idea. No, deception has already been spread through the field of this world. I want you to think about it like this. You know, if you spread seeds in the field, you know, remember the parable about the one who sowed tares in the field, right? You couldn't see the tares until they sprang up. But when the seed is in the field, you, you don't know what's there. A farmer plants seed. He trusts the manufacturer to give him the right seed. He puts it at the right depth. You know, he, he gives it the right space. He gives it the right fertilizer. And then he's got to wait to see what comes up. The truth is that deception has already been broadcast throughout the field of the world. So there's plenty of deception out there. And there always is going to be. Because just like, you know, seeds in the field, or I think about algae in my pool. You know, when it rains really heavy, my water looks okay the next day, but I know it's going to turn green. Why? Because I know, I know with all that rain and all the pollen, man, something got in there. And so in a few days, it reveals itself, and then I go to war with it. I pretend I'm working while I'm really playing in the pool. So understand, deception is out there. It's not something that's ever going to go away. It's not something we're going to be able to get rid of completely. It's something we have to deal with, and you deal with deception by preaching the truth, amen? Deception is revealed by a particular mark. Who do not confess Jesus as coming in the flesh. That's one of the marks of deception. The, the mark reveals false doctrine, and it's always tied to what's taught about Jesus. So those who preach uh, deception, those who preach heresy, are driven by a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Uh, look what it says here. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Say antichrist. What's behind the spirit of false teaching, what's behind the spirit of deception is the spirit of antichrist. Why? Because it's the reason that the deception is there in the first place. It wants to undercut who Jesus is so people don't believe in him and they can't be saved. A world that doesn't know who Christ is, doesn't know that he's Messiah, doesn't know that he's God, is not going to come to him for salvation. A world that thinks it's okay and that sin's not real and heaven, does, and heaven doesn't exist and there is no hell is not going to search for a savior. 
So deception is a way of disarming people and short-circuiting them so they don't seek after God. And it's already sown into the fields of humanity. And the spirit that drives it is the spirit of Antichrist. What's behind the spirit of Antichrist is Satan. The devil hates Jesus because he wants to be him. The devil wants to be worshipped in place of Christ. In fact, if you study the book of Revelation like we have many times, when you get to the tribulation period, Satan sets up a a false trinity and he sets up a worship system where he will be worshipped. Why? Because that's what he's always wanted. And see, that's what the spirit of Antichrist is about, to undercut who Jesus is and deflect worship away from him and take it for themselves. So realize deception is out there. Well, this was in biblical times, Pastor, right back in the olden days. No, it's out there right now in so many forms, in beautiful buildings with steeples on top, coming from nice pulpits, nicer than this poor thing that's falling apart. We got our money out of this, Fred. So it's out there, and we've got to be careful of it. Now, Verse 8 is a call to self-examination, and that's an important thing for us. It says in verse 7, For many deceivers have come and gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Verse 8, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive your reward. So when it says to watch ourselves, what the Apostle John is trying to tell us is that we need to, we need to look at ourselves. We need to have times of introspection. We, we need to, you know, get before the Lord and get quiet and do what David did say, you know, search me and know me. Search my heart, Lord, and show me, is there any wicked way in me? You know, other places in Scripture, Paul says, examine yourself to see that you are in the faith. Amen. You know, and there again, we, we got a lot of doctrines running around there. Once saved, always saved. Just, just whisper the prayer and you're good no matter how you live. But the scripture doesn't really teach that. You know, it teaches us introspection and self-examination and discipline and all of these things. Why? Because we have an enemy who's not, you're not just playing games. He's trying to destroy our faith. And so verse 8 calls us to self-examination. Look at yourself. Uh, look inside. Did you ever notice that it's so much easier to look at everybody else's sin and wrong motives and weaknesses and compromises than to identify your own? Man, you can look at somebody. I mean, most, most of us are, have practice at being judgmental. We're real good at it, right? You could just be around someone a little, little time and you could say, well, they're this and they're that, or they're not too smart, or they're not too disciplined, or they're, they're pretty carnal. You know, Christians can be judgmental. That's what Jesus, you know, was warning us about, taking the log out of our own eye before we pick the speck out of our brother's eye. But, you know, it's so much easier to see everybody else's sin and wrong motives and, and the things, but it's really hard sometimes to see your own. And that's why we've got to let the Holy Spirit point it out to us. If you haven't sat before the Lord recently and allowed him to search your heart, there's probably some stuff that you need to address in your life. Ah, and it's so quiet. And let me just say, I'm right there with you. There's times where I just sit down and I'm, I'm, you know, and it's not anything profound or pastoral or anything in King James, but I just go like, Lord, man, you know, and, and just begin to pour out my heart before him. And, 
you know, if I get quiet enough and sit long enough, the Holy Spirit will put his finger on something. But we have to open ourselves to those moments because it's easy to kind of trample through life and miss those moments of introspection and get deeper and deeper into our mess. God help us to stay on course. The Holy Spirit's married to us and he convicts us and we just got to keep our hearts sensitive, amen? Be open to the fact that all of us need correction, amen? We go off course. All all of us like sheep go astray. So this introspection idea, this self-examination, I want you to entertain it. I want you to make it part of your devotions. Just, uh, it's a healthy thing to do. You know, John tells us what's at stake, that we do not lose those things we work for. So the apostles and the early church fathers, they labored very hard, and they laid their lives down to plant these churches. So they don't want to lose what they've labored for. They don't want the believer to lose what they've labored for. No, they want them to have the full reward. So the rewards that are attached to faithfulness and cross-carrying and and laboring in the kingdom of God. Those are the rewards that God wants us to have, amen? But you don't get those on the sideline. You get those when you're in the fight. You don't get those when you're all off course. You get those when you examine your heart before the Lord. See, this is a short letter, but it's powerful. And, you know, sometimes I think when you have 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 15, 20 chapters, you know, you don't need to get to the point so quick. But these short little ones, you know, many times the apostles really made some powerful points. So don't discount these these short epistles. They are powerful, and they have a point to make to the contemporary church. Uh, The apostles labored hard. Don't lose your reward. Uh, Don't be unfaithful. Don't backslide. Don't quit. That's what the enemy wants. Jesus told us three times in the New Testament, he who endures to the end will be saved. Amen? In, in Matthew 10, 22, uh, in Matthew 24, 13, and Mark 13, 13, he who endures to the end will be saved. Listen to James 1, 12. It says this about spiritual endurance. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So this introspection and this uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to recalibrate us keeps us safe so we receive our rewards. And there's endurance that's added here. It's a, it's a long road for some of us, amen? You know, the average lifespan now I think is 78 years old, something like that. G, G, sometimes I say to Jesus, well, you only lived 33 years, Jesus. I would have punched out already. I'm still here. Help me. Anybody? Some people live a long time, amen. That's a long time to keep the faith and walk right and keep your ego and your pride in check and stay humble. Hello. So think about those things. Verse 9, those who don't keep the faith and grow in grace, you know, their salvation is questionable. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Kind of like the point we are making before, but there again, John gets right down to it. Look, if you're not walking right, if you're not growing in grace, if you're not following the commandments of Jesus Christ, you know, you, you, you might be religious, but you're not converted. You know, there's a lot of people who are religious and lost. There's a lot of people who sit in Christian churches and never hear the gospel and never heard an altar call, never have surrendered to Jesus. 
He knows multitudes who've heard about Jesus their whole life, but don't have a relationship with him. It's possible to be spiritual and lost. So there again, this question of, you know, am I converted? Am I growing in grace? Am I growing in faith? Am I keeping the faith? Uh, All of these things uh, are important for us to think about. Uh, Keeping the commandments of Jesus Christ is what's required. Saying you're a Christian doesn't make you one. Abiding in Christ makes you one. Jesus says, why did you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? profound question isn't it because you know it's my religion and you know i know the apostles creed and i know it's the right thing to say but jesus doesn't want lip service he wants obedience oh we're having so much fun tonight you know i know some of these things are they're sobering um you know uh, like verse 9 is sobering anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of christ does not have god someone say out your amen yeah, it, it stings a little bit. Yeah, I don't have God. You know, I don't, I don't uh, but, you know, I'm a nice person and I do good things. And, I, you know, I go to church twice a year, Christmas and Easter. See any Christians, even they can be saved. Verse 10 and 11 are a warning about the dangers of blanket inclusivity. And I want, I want to tell you what I mean about that here. Listen to verse 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not, dis- do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. So specifically what this was talking about is that, you know, if you got a teacher come and they're not preaching the gospel, don't you bring them into your home and feed them and supply their needs and and bless them and and say, God bless you. Why? Because if you do that, you're partnering with someone who's a deceiver and you are partnering with that deception. Now, this is a warning to blanket inclusivity. You know, what do I mean by that? Uh, I mean, there are people who think, well, any spirituality is good spirituality. Oh, it doesn't matter what sect or if they're, you know, if they're Muslim or if they're, you know, Hindu or if they're Jehovah's Witnesses or if they're Mormons. God bless you. They're spiritual. Don't you dare. Don't you dare bless false religion. Don't you dare bless false teachers. Don't you invite them into your home unless the Holy Spirit says to that you would have the word of the Lord to give to them, you know, because I know people who have ministered to certain cults and world religions for weeks and weeks and sometimes years and never, ever cracked through the wall of religious deception. So be very careful. The Bible's warner. There was one time when I was a young Christian, and I was, you know, I was in a debate with a Jehovah's Witness, and you know, uh, and I felt kind of sorry for them because they were really sincere, but what they were preaching was unbiblical. So we went back and forth, and then at the end of the thing, I said, "Well, I got to go. God bless you." And you know, the Holy Spirit convicted me about that. And you know, because why? Because I had let my emotions get so connected to this person that I blessed them when I had no business blessing them. Because what they were teaching led to the depths of hell. It didn't lead to Jesus Christ. So we pray for people who are stuck in these things. And yeah, we're loving to them. We're kind to them. We engage them if the Holy Spirit gives us a green light. But understand, we don't facilitate false doctrine. You guys got it? That's, this is an important, you know, short letter, but some important points here that we've got to look at. 
blanket inclusivity. Not everybody's saved. Not all roads lead to God. Not everyone's going to heaven. There's one gospel. There's one mediator between God and man. There's one name under heaven where which we must be saved. And that's what we support. And that's what we bless. And that's what we finance. Amen. So verse 12 through 13 are really just a farewell and the book is over. So John makes some powerful points. He gives us some solid instruction. He points us towards introspection. He points us towards Jesus Christ. He points us towards keeping the commandments of loving one another. He warns us about false teachers, and he warns us not to bless anything that is not biblical. Uh, It's powerful. It's only 13 verses, and we'll end by reading the farewell. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that your joy may be full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. Now, we know that John wants to come to them, but there is the third epistle of John that we're going to get into next week, Lord willing. And so he he does write them another letter. Uh, It's another short one, but some powerful points as well. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you for these epistles, Lord. They're... They're powerful, they're compact, they make some powerful points to us. Father, I pray that we have ears to hear tonight. Lord, I pray that some of us will get alone with you and spend time with you and allow the Holy Spirit just to examine and show us where we need to make corrections and show us where the trajectory of our life is going in the wrong direction. Father, help us to love, to love one another. It's so easy to love the things of the world that sometimes we forget we're called to love one another, the body of Christ. I pray that my brothers and sisters would do their part in loving this body and that, God, we would love you above all things, that while we're on this earth, we would enjoy the good things that you've given us to enjoy, but we would never worship the creation more than we do the creator. I ask this in Jesus' name. And Father, when it comes to false religion and it comes to wrong doctrine, Father, I pray that we would be sharp by the Holy Spirit to see it. We would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to know how, how to deal with it, Lord, and that we wouldn't bless things that don't line up with truth. But Lord, we would pray for those who are stuck in the bondage of religious deception to be made free and to come into the light. Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him a hand clap of praise tonight.